And as I was telling her what you gain. Poop. Welcome back to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, books, marriage, and publishing. Nope, that's not right. It's about parenting, too. Yeah. Yeah, and not books. Yeah. Although we talk about books by default. That's part of writing and publishing. Yeah, yeah. Well, for those who weren't clear, it's also about books. So, (laughs) welcome. (laughs) I'm Morgan Baden, and with me is my husband and co-host, Barry Liga. Hello. So, let's talk about TV. (laughs) Of course, because that's... Ties right on in. Ties right on in with all of it, yeah. <laughs> First of all, we have been neglectful, deeply neglectful over the past few weeks because we forgot to talk about the fact that Younger is back. <laughs> Younger is a show on TV Land uh, starring Sutton Foster and Hilary Duff. I quite enjoy Younger. I sort of, I, uh, 50, 51% of me hate watches it. 49% of me actually really enjoys it. Is that about your breakdown too? No. no, you're like 100.0%. I'm like, I'm like 99% hate, <laughs> hate and like 1% depending on what Duff's wearing. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh! So for those of you who have been longtime listeners, you know that Younger takes place in the book publishing world and they get it wrong literally at every turn. Literally like, every single opera. Other than the fact that the books have pages, yes. they get it <laughs> there's, wrong. There's every nothing they get right. Time. Exactly. <laughs> so um, anyway, Younger is back and we've been enjoying watching the outrageous things that they think pass for you know reality in the publishing world. I do think it is possible that they may have hired a consultant Um, because there have been a couple of things that they've done that I'm like, someone told them to fix that and they fixed it, (laughs) but still not totally. And just some fun examples are the fact that like, I don't know, it was like a Monday morning and in their staff meeting, which always consists of just the four of them, which is hilarious, you know, the publisher and then the marketing. Yeah, The guy who literally owns the company and then the marketing director and then an editor and, and then, then a an marketing assistant. assistant. <laughs> like, that's it. It's hilarious. The four of them. Uh-huh. Anyway, so he announces that morning that the two youngest ones, Hillary and Sutton, have been selected to attend this very prestigious, like, camp. It's like a retreat. I know. It's, it's a retreat. It's, it's like an industry retreat. But they have to leave the next day. Right, right. He <laughs> just so tells funny. them the day before. <laughs> Which is basically... Like, he's like, been sitting on it yeah. for weeks. <laughs> which is basically what happens constantly with the books that they, quote-unquote, publish in, right. this, in this show, which is that... Literally one episode, they sign an author, and the book, it's the release, it's the launch party the next week. Right. Which is hilarious. And it's only been a week in, in their TV. Because let me too. tell you, that's how publishing works. Exactly. Anyway, but there is another show that I want to talk about that has a depiction of publishing that has been uh, making some media recently. Yeah. So the show is Friends from College, it's on Netflix. Yes. Um, and uh, it stars qu- quite a few really good actors, including it's got a great cast. It, it does have a really cast. decent cast: Kobe Smulders and um, Keegan Michael Key, who is hilarious, and uh, he's the key to this story because no pun, intended. no pun intended. He plays Ethan, who is a writer, yes. and he's a literary fiction writer. He wins awards, but suddenly he sell. right does not sell, and is like desperate to make more money. He needs to support his growing family. By the way, there are spoilers in this. So yeah, but we should also point out before we talk about this that obviously all eight episodes are available. We've only watched like three or four. Three or four, yeah. So for all we know, this all changes by the yeah. end. But but this we is had, where we are. What happened was we had watched episode one, yeah. and we were like, oh okay. And they mentioned YA. That's funny. Yeah. 
And then I came across a couple of essays about the YA sub-theme going on here. Yeah. So we held it until episode three because um, the uh, some of the essays that we found said, like, spoilers if you haven't gotten to episode yeah. three. Then we did. So, yes, if you have not watched the show yet, maybe, you know, fast forward a few times. We're only going to talk about it for a minute. Yeah. But um, anyway, so, so the idea is that Fred Savage, who plays Ethan's uh, agent... agent is really pushing him to write YA because according to this, the world in this television show, every YA author earns billion dollar advances and immediate movie deals. Yeah, oh yeah. Yes, which is totally accurate. That's so, been my experience. Yeah, so it's this really funny thing because there, there's certainly jokes to be made about YA, obviously, just like there is with any other kind of book. Sure. But I don't think this show is making jokes. I think they're actually like being mean. <laughs> Oh, see, I, I, I just think they're making the wrong jokes. That's, I was going to say, the jokes aren't landing. So yeah. some of the examples are, um, they brought in Kate McKinnon to be like, uh, I don't I don't think she's modeled after anyone in particular. She she is if if, if Stephanie Meyer were a coke addict. Yeah, yeah. She's, that, that's like, what she is. She certainly has. She's the off the YA author who has the um, the level of success as a, a J.K. Rowling or a Suzanne Collins, but is certainly not modeled off of either of them. But although I would say her book is sort of Twilight esque, yeah. certainly the way they describe it. Um, but she's just so over the top the way Kate McKinnon can do well, beautifully. And and I th- I think that was a big mistake with the show. Yeah. I think she was horribly miscast. I could see and, that. And let me stop here and say that I adore Kate McKinnon. I love her. I know I cannot speak ill of her because she's the internet's girlfriend. <laughs> I get that. But she was horribly wrong for this role. Yeah. Because as soon as she rolls onto onto the scene, everything changes. And she just... She just changes everything, right? And it's just so over the top and so insane that, and and you're just constantly aware. Oh, this is Kate McKinnon doing a shtick, right? Yeah, this isn't yeah. an actual. This isn't an author. This you isn't just, a character. You lose yeah. your suspension of disbelief immediately. Yeah. So, so, so the essay that we first came across that I'm going to talk about now, which we'll include in the show notes, obviously, is from the AV Club, and it's called "Friends from College Takes on YA for Some Reason." Subhead. Yes, you can spoof it, dot, dot, dot. But why is the show spoofing it exactly? Right. And this is what really, um, they did a really wonderful job in this essay of, like, articulating what was unsettling me about this whole storyline. Um, and in particular, what happens in, in episode three, the one with Kate McKinnon, is she's starting her own imprint. And so she's looking for new authors. So Fred Savage puts her in touch with Ethan. And um, and they have a whole session where Kate is super weird and is, like, requiring very strange uh, plots from him. Right. So he agrees that he'll come up with a pitch overnight and pitch it to her the next morning before she leaves on some, like, world tour or something. And they proceed to um, get high and get drunk. Have a drug-fueled <laughs> all-nighter where they try to come up with a, an idea. And it's a very... I think the scene was very funny. Oh, yeah. But the takeaway is... That oh and by the way, Kate McKinnon's character wants supernatural creatures. Like right. her whole imprint is about supernatural YA. Exactly. So apparently, the show also takes place in two thousand eight. So, <laughs> um, but the, so after all of this, like the whole arc of the episode is then coming to the pitch itself, and what they land on is werewolves. Which, and and this is the problem because 
like if you were writing a story about an author who became very successful due to vampires and wanted a supernatural follow-up, the first thing you would think of is werewolf. Right. It's incredibly not creative. It's incredibly unoriginal to think werewolf after vampire, right? Yeah. Or to think vampire after werewolf. I mean, they just go together, right? And 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 the show does that. So that's its first sin because it's unoriginal. Its second sin is that werewolves have already been done to death mm-hmm. in YA. Stephanie Meyer did them in the Twilight Saga. Maggie so Stiefvater did them. Yeah, they're done with. And yet on the show they act like it's this brilliant breakthrough. So that's to quote the AV Club. It says. A wolf, like in Twilight. The show doesn't hit the potential joke of them endlessly brainstorming to come up with an old, obvious idea very hard, so it makes me wonder if maybe the writers don't know that there's a wolf in Twilight. Yeah. Which did make me wonder, too. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, it was a really, uh, I don't know, it was just a, a bit of a strange episode, and I'm still struggling to come up with, like, why... I mean, there's other things that they're making fun of about YA, which is that, like, it's for kids and the readers aren't sophisticated and it's such a step down. Why would you denigrate yourself when you were writing literary fiction to now change to YA? Why would he denigrate himself? I mean, really? You know... If he's in it for the money, he's in the wrong industry. I really feel... Well, that's just (laughs) it. Like, I I really... You said before, in this world, is it 2008? That's what it feels like. It does, Because they're talking about this is the next big thing. Yes. It was the next big thing in 2008. They're talking about... They're talking about Twilight, basically, as if it were a brand new thing. It pretty much was in 2008. I really feel like 2008 to 2012 were sort of the prime years for this sort of spoof of YA. Yeah. You know? And, and And then The Fault in Our Stars comes out in 2012... And I feel like at that point, it was just game over. Right. The industry had sort of burned itself out at that point. You know, it, that that was the last big firework before the end of the show. And what's the, I mean, why why are you kicking it? Right. Like, it just, it just It's already dead. It, well, yeah. it's not that it's dead. No, but, but it's like, like, it's, that's already, that moment has already passed. So. It's like. It, 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 the only like, thing I can think of is maybe they wrote the show like yeah. four years ago. It, it It's like arm wrestling your grandma. <laughs> Like, hey, my grandmother was really freakishly <laughs> strong. No, it's like, I've seen your grandmother's biceps. <laughs> it's like arm wrestling your grandmother. Like, yeah, you're going to win, but so what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. So so we've got these two shows that just get publishing wrong. Yeah, like, at every how turn. How difficult is it to get – publishing is actually a very simple industry, and it, it's a sort of interesting industry, and there are things you can do. I think the problem is that it's a very slow-moving industry mm. in general, and, I mean, and that doesn't translate to film. But right, there's, obviously. There's cool stuff you can do. Yeah, but I mean, in the case of Younger, uh, like I, I fully understand why they need to have a book launch – relatively close to bringing the char- that author character in for the marketing. You know what I mean? Like, I understand why they do it, well, but they could do it differently it, and not well, be no, so obnoxious it's, about it. It's because they do not understand how to pace a story. Yes. They have no problem having a season-long arc of, is she going to sleep with this guy or this guy? Yeah. Or is she going to tell this person the truth or that person the truth? But they can't somehow figure out how to do a season-long arc of, episode one, we buy this book, Episode 10 is the book we launch. launch it, yeah. Like, they that's can't figure that out. Yeah. They can't figure out how to pace it. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, they just don't know how to do it. I will say that last week's episode of Younger, two weeks ago, because we haven't watched last week's yet, there was a person of color. I was stunned. Younger is, like... The lily whitest. It is a snowstorm with invisible <laughs> polar bears, or whatever that joke is. It is so incredibly white. Yeah. And, I mean... 
you know, publishing is a fairly white industry. Well, I was going to say, we, we've complained about that. And, and my editor... We heard us complaining about it. Uh, she said, well, publishing is very white. Yes. Now, she is a woman of color, we should point out. <laughs> but I, I do want to say, I've been thinking about this lately because we talk about this a lot. I can't think of any time I have been in a meeting in the publishing industry yeah. where there were not people of color. So it's funny because I talk about this with some friends fairly often, um, friends who work in different industries and different movements where there are, there's a much greater representation yeah. Than, than in publishing, I absolutely have been yeah. in meetings where it is only white people. Yeah. Most often, only white women. I'm, I'm, and I, and I want to make sure before we get hate mail that I hasten to add. I'm not saying that means there isn't a problem well, or that course. the problem has been solved. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. I'm just what I'm saying is my experience in publishing looks nothing like Younger's experience right. in publishing. Yes. I've never been in a room with just white people. Right. Yeah. I mean, unless, I mean, unless it was me and like one editor in uh-huh. a room, which yeah. I'm not, yeah. count- I mean, that's just you that's meeting just with one meeting. person. Yeah, that's yeah. just, you know, but I'm saying like marketing meetings, launch meetings, all that stuff. And usually women of color. Um, so I have. Yeah. So you have I'll, though. Yeah. yeah. Um, but younger also takes place in Brooklyn and Manhattan and even yeah. the bar scenes oh, the bar are just scenes. straight up white people. Yeah. It's weird. It's so weird. I mean like I know gentrification and hipsters have, <laughs> have really invaded Brooklyn like ridiculously, right. but come on. Yeah. Like we lived in Brooklyn. It didn't look like no, that. No. So anyway, do better younger. You can. I'm at 49% enjoying the show. Like you want to get Morgan to 50%. You younger. do. You got to do 50, 50. You got to have a little color. Aim high. Okay. Um, so speaking sort of of entertainment, I cannot believe we spent this long talking about two <laughs> random TV shows. I know. Go ahead. Um, you, we've seen Gone Girl. Yes. We've seen Girl on a Train. Yes. Yes. Have you read either of them? I read Gone Girl. Okay, you didn't read Girl. I didn't read Girl on a I Train did not either. Read Girl yeah. on a Train. So apparently, there's a new thing. Uh, obviously, both of those are incredibly successful properties, yes. books and movies. Yep. And as happens in any industry, they have spawned uh, a whole lot of copycats. A lot of titles with girl. Exa- yes, that. But a lot of female-driven psychological thrillers. Yeah. Well, and it turns out now men are apparently adopting ambiguous pen names so that they can sell these books to to the women oh, who read them. Oh, no. Jezebel has an Don't essay about this. Don't do it. Don't do it, guys. <laughs> no, and I'm, you know, it's funny. I'm of two minds of this because, number one, it's like, Part of me doesn't care. Like, I don't care what name you put on your on your book. Like, that's fine. But the other part of me does care deeply. Yeah. <laughs> and for two reasons. Number one is I am someone who primarily reads women authors. And I don't even do it. I don't think I do it consciously. Like, I don't go to the bookstore and right. say, that's show me your women you, section. what you find yourself drawn to. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but number two, there's a reason female authors have needed to put their initials on books. Yes. That reason, of course, for the people in the back who don't know, is because uh, a Women lot of people... Women generally suck, and people don't want to read books Exactly. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, particularly depending on the genre of the book, um, a lot of male readers will, or parents of male readers who are yeah. buying the books, think that their, their male reader, or the male reader themselves, won't want to read them, because it's written by women, and right. yada yada. So, obviously, and there's a long history of that, of course, George Eliot, et cetera, et cetera. Well... The Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. Uh, well, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the one I always think of. That's it's the funny, first one yeah, I go to. Uh-huh. Um, so, so it's a little bit like, dude, you guys sell every like you already have the bulk of sales, <laughs> and now you need to change your name 
to get even more sales. Yeah. You know, there's a so there's a I part mean, of me that feels like that. I, I mean, what that, are your thoughts? Well, I mean, what you just said about the, about the sales and everything that that applies perhaps in a general group sense, but not on an individual level. Of course, there yeah. could be a guy who's trying to sell his first book and yeah. figures, oh, if I use a female pen name, this might help. Of me. course, um, and that's a different scenario. It is interesting. There was a case a while back about a uh, a poet. It was a poetry contest. This was a big thing a while back on Twitter, okay. like years ago. I'll try to find a link to it in the show notes. Um, a guy who submitted to a poetry contest and used an Asian pen name oh. as a way of getting in and and winning. Oh my gosh! And of course, Whoa. the universe just blew up when that ha- when that was revealed. Uh, this is interesting to me because I'm working on a project right now that you know about. Yeah. That could best be described as as um, strongly female oriented certainly uh, I, I don't know the best way to put it um, it's a female driven female driven book. book I mean yeah. it's it's about women for the most part mm-hmm. and it and women are almost all the main characters mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's something that is very off-brand for me so right. I'm gonna do it under a different name uh-huh. and I was talking to my agent about it and she said oh you should use a, a woman's name and I went oh god no because yeah. if it gets out yeah if it gets out I will be crucified yeah and that's because it does look like you're trying to sort of co-opt exactly, the that's experience the word. of women yeah. and you're trying to co-opt the, um, the, the, the history and, 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 and God, to use a, the, the sisterhood, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I mean, seriously, like, you know, you just said, like, you end up reading a lot of books by women yeah. and it's like how you, I'm sure you would feel a sense of betrayal. That's, I don't want to be tricked into reading your yeah, book is right. kind of what you it is. You want to read it because yeah. you want to read it. But at the same time, I, I don't want to prejudge and say like oh that book can't speak to my experience because it was a man who wrote it although i guess in a way you can't anyway i don't know but the important thing to note about a lot of these male authors using pen names for this particular genre of psychological female driven thrillers is that they're not hiding it particularly well and they're doing that sort of on purpose like that's a strategy well they want to have it both ways yeah they want to get they want to get a casual observer to go oh this is a book about a woman written by a woman great i'll yeah. buy it and yet they want to have the marketing impetus and the the word of mouth and everything yeah that being like, a, no, a this male is, author yeah provides yeah um one of the authors in particular says quote i didn't want there to be people thinking i was trying to deceive them in any in any way but at the same time i think it's cool to have a little mystery i mean I agree Which, with he's that. He's not wrong. I, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. But it's like there's a difference, and I don't know who this guy is or what his pen name is. But there's a difference between writing a book under the pen name, um, you know, F. E. Jameson, yeah. and writing a book under you know Florence Everett right. Jameson. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, are are you being mysterious or are you being deceptive? That's a really good point. Yeah. And, the initials and, versus you know, the full name. And, you know, when I do this book under a pen name, I will probably be hopefully mysterious but i will not be deceptive i will right. not call myself suzanne i will not call yeah. you know will i i doubt i'll use initials I, i'm kind of over initials yeah but you know i i don't i don't want to mislead anybody again i don't want people to think that i'm pretending i'm a woman right you know yeah. um and and i'm actually confident enough in my ability to write women mm-hmm. that i don't feel like i have to trick people into reading um a, a book that I've written that is mostly about women. Yeah. Um, I, I, 
it's a tough thing, and I understand the the drive because again, when you look at it on a group level, it's a very easy thing. Like this group should not encroach on this group. But when you look at it on the individual level and you see like some guy who's been struggling his whole life to get a book published and suddenly has a chance, yeah. and he's like, ooh, I can give myself a little edge. Mm-hmm. I can help myself out a little. Maybe I get a few extra sales. Maybe, you know, yeah. if I do this, it's really tough to feel to, to beat that guy up because he's, he's this one guy who's desperate and just looking for a, looking for a hook. Right. Yeah, you know? it is. It's the it's the classic case of like on an individual level. Okay, but what it says about the broader culture right, sucks. Right, right. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's, I, I sort of condemn it on a broad level, but on an individual level, you have to look at each case. Yeah, That's yeah. how I feel about it anyway. Yeah. All right, let's move into another quick topic about writing. Okay. That I was really surprised by, which is um, Grub Street had an essay called The Hidden Risks of Writing a Cookbook. Cookbooks, obviously, are part of the publishing world. This is for all of our listeners who are writing cookbooks. Yes. Uh, it's something I know nothing about. The cook, cookbooks, like, it, it, it's like 50%. It's, it's a huge percentage huge of the publishing market. industry. Huge market, yes. It is huge. Huge market. Which is crazy when you think you can look up any recipe you want online. I, that's what... I, so I genuinely don't know anyone who buys cookbooks. I mean, I have several cookbooks that but they were all given to me as gifts yes so i was gonna say we've received we've yeah. received a couple and we've got some really cool we, ones they're beautiful yeah. ones but i i don't know if i've ever pulled out a cookbook yeah. to to find a recipe yeah. i just go to pinterest right so um but obviously cookbooks uh, you know when when done well are incredibly beautiful so sure. you know i understand the appeal of it of them from that perspective certainly anyway uh, we'll, of course, include a link to this in the show notes because it's really fascinating. It's just a sort of um, in-depth look at the cookbook industry and what happens and yada, yada. But what really struck me was that um, it's a very different part of the business than than the rest of it because you get a pretty high advance most of the time. Statistically speaking, it seems to be that way. But that's because you, the chef, are responsible for the financial outlay of getting the photographs done for the book. Um, and a lot of other stuff, a lot of publicity and marketing stuff that, yeah. are, that for fiction is usually covered by the house. So they gave an example in here of um, a chef, Chris Fisher, who uh, runs a great, his grandmother's um, 56-year-old restaurant in Martha's Vineyard, which is very cool. Anyway, Little Brown visited the farm huh. and uh, offered him a proposal. The advance was $125,000. That's a great advance. That's a terrific advance, uh-huh. sure. And it turns out this guy ended up spending more than that right. on creating the book himself, yeah. which is a, a damn shame. Um, so it's just fascinating. I did that's something I, that never occurred to me, and it was really interesting thinking about how in the same industry there's so many different models. Right. I mean, it really though it's consistent with it. It, it is consistent with the overall model because I know most of the contracts I've looked at. Um, especially being in children's publishing, uh, a lot of the boilerplate is set up for a novel, but also for a picture book. Huh. And so there is reference to, for example, it is the responsibility of the creator to provide art in this format and to make sure it's copyright. Yeah. You know, it, it that the copyright is 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 free and stuff like that. And and so you know, I just haven't written books with pictures except for except for Manga Man. Yeah. But in that case. Colleen was generating it, but still, mm-hmm. like that's why she got an advance right, was to yeah. create that art, and it's yeah. the same thing in this guy's case. He is getting an advance and being told part of part this of advance is for you're providing the art, the writing, the illustrating, recipe testing, styling, yeah. photography, yeah. and then a, a, a lot of the stories that they tell in this essay is 
the chefs themselves who are who have gotten the cookbook deal yeah. end up sometimes having to having to stop cooking at the restaurant because they're so busy with the book yeah. or you know on book tour or whatever yep. um which obviously does different things to their income but also is is kind of funny because it's like here i've produced this cookbook and i no longer cook and i don't you know? cook right um Anyway, it's a really, it was just a neat look um, into cookbooks. And again, something you don't think about. Um, and and part of the industry that we're just. Not uh, yes, I am yeah. totally ignorant of, yeah. of this part of the industry. So, um, but it is funny because, you know, I get a lot of questions from people who know nothing about any part of publishing and they say, like, how do I get a book published? Well, what do I do with the advance? Well, do I hire the illustrator? Because I'm writing a pup picture book. And it's like, I'm always like, no, you never hire the illustrator. You don't, you're not responsible for the art. And then I read this and I'm like, ooh, if it's a cookbook, you are responsible yeah. for the art. Yeah. It's funny. Anyway, read it and go buy a cookbook and then bring us a meal. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's move into the parenting aspect of this podcast. Dun, have, dun, dun. I feel like we have a lot of updates to give. And then there's one thing that I want to talk about in particular. Yeah. Um, so some quick updates. We have a potty-trained kid. Holy crap. No pun intended. <laughs> She's about 80% potty-trained because... Oh, I say 90. 90? Okay. okay. No, no, no. 90 is fair. Yeah. 80 to 90. Depends on the day. Um, <laughs> we did the three-day oh crap method, which... We will put a link in the show notes. <laughs> for those of you without kids, don't worry. I had no idea what it was either. Yeah. But much like every other part of parenting, um, there are very controversial methods... About I, potty training. I really feel like modern parenting in the 21st century in the United States of America can best be summed up as an endless series of putting your kid through massive shocks. <laughs> like, like, okay, your kid needs to learn how to sleep. Put Done. them in the room and walk away and yeah. let them scream all night. Like, uh -huh. do that. And then for, for potty training, it's literally for a three-day weekend, strip your kid naked and let them walk around the house, and when they have to pee, grab them and throw them on the toilet. Yeah, I mean, literally, this it sounds so weird. And I, when I first read about this a few months ago, I was like, we're not going to do that. That's stupid. And then I was like, oh, no, we're doing this. It takes three days. We're doing it. And, like, oh, we, had a, we have other friends who have done it, and they were like, it, it works It works pretty well and yeah. blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, we literally chose a three-day weekend. Like, we kept her home from school that Monday. And on Saturday, we just stripped her down. And we had our little potty out, out in the living room, and she kind of looked at us like we were crazy. Well, she did more than that. She was very unhappy when we took that diaper yes, off. Yes, yes. When we said, you're not going to wear a diaper today, she got very angry. She did, that's true. And uh, basically what you do for three days is catch them midstream. Well, and you and look for... You like, look for their cues. So every kid tell. has a tell. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, uh, you know... Uh, making a funny face is right. it twitching is it crossing Standing their legs a certain way yeah, yeah is it whatever. going to a certain part of the room whatever right. but you look for their tails um you spend you're spending literally all day on them like you can't turn around to have a cup of coffee you right. can't turn around to do whatever you have to be on them um and I feel bad because, because if you're not that's when they're going to pee and poop right of course yeah. and i and you know there were two of us yeah. so one could do this while the other one was was doing other things but i felt bad because the book was written with the assumption that mom was doing this alone. Yes. With no help from and dad. And mom specifically. Yes. Like, it is a... That there, there's a token mention at one point in there of, hey, if you're a dad and you're doing this, great, thanks. You know, we're glad you're on board. But it was written, like, here's how you convince your partner this is the right way to do it. Oh, your partner's not going to help at all, so here's what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And I just, reading it, I was just filled with sorrow and rage. Yes. Well, and then there's a, a measly, what, like, three-page chapter at the end that says, hey, dads, this chapter's for you. Yeah. And it's so yeah. patronizing yeah. and frustrating. Yeah. 
Um, though she does acknowledge in the beginning that it's in the beginning of the book, she acknowledges that like I wrote this book for women. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so we did that method and it worked really well. It, I, it worked much like it worked so well that I actually probably for four or five days after still assumed that it hadn't worked. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because, because I yeah. just assu- like I just assumed this couldn't have worked. Yeah. Like any second now. It's all going to come unraveled. Uh-huh. And we've taken long car trips. We've taken fairly long car trips. The first time we went to out on an outing with her was to Target down the street. And I was like, what's going to happen? Because we live oh my in the God. suburbs. Yes. And we got there. And what you're supposed to do is say, like, sweetie, there, there are bathrooms here. So right. as soon as you need to go potty, just tell me. And, of course, like, what, 90 seconds into the Target, she's yeah. like, Mommy, I have to go potty. But and, we went, and, and she, she did it And she held it while you went across yeah. the store to the bathroom. I mean, yeah, I was... It's a whole new kind of freedom. It, it's really sort of amazing. Yeah. You know? And, and... Our girl's growing up. And I think she likes it. I think, I think so, too. She's really excited. Like, when she sits on the potty, she gets this expression on her yeah. face like, I can't believe I'm doing this. This yeah. is awesome. Uh-huh. So we've come a long way from the days where she screamed when we took off the diaper. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's a, an exciting update. Our our kid is getting big, which is yes. exciting, and also like, it was I was much more emotional about this than I thought I would be. Yeah. Um, and then the baby's doing great. He's got yeah. a little cold right now, and uh, he's basically crawling, which yeah. is insane. Yeah, he's doing well. But it is funny the difference between kid one and kid two, and <sighs> how uh, how basic you know he like rolled over and bumped his head yesterday. I don't, neither of us even blinked. Like, right. we didn't even move. Right. We would have already been halfway to the emergency room <laughs> we if like, Leia yeah, had done that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that's a little kid update. And so speaking of kids, um, I thought this was very amusing and also relevant and relatable. Ask, ask Polly on The Cut, which is one of my favorite advice columns. And The Cut is a really great blog, by the way, for those of you who um, miss the old days of Good Jezebel. Anyway, so she says, uh, Dear Polly... <laughs> I'm terrified of having kids. So here's a woman who is writing in. She's in a, um, a happy, stable, long-term relationship. They both want kids, but she thinks that she knows too much. She babysat a lot. She uh, raised, she, she participated a lot in the raising of her nieces and nephews. Um, she has younger siblings. She, she knows a lot about the early days of childhood. And as a result, she doesn't want kids, even though she kind of does, but she's too scared to do it. Right. And, so this this whole Q and A is really about um, about that and about how do we keep secrets about the messiness and the hard parts of babyhood in order to like not scare people into not having kids? Well, it sounds like nobody kept it a secret from her. Yeah, well, because she saw it <laughs> firsthand. Know. Yeah, but I think of me, you know, I babysat occasionally, but never like super young babies. You had like a club, didn't you? <laughs> if only. If only I did. Um, and I have a niece and nephew, but I they live fairly far away. So, like, you know, they weren't next door when they were babies. So I didn't right. know much about it. I was certainly shocked upon having a baby about all the incredible ugliness that can come from yeah. the, especially the first three months. And I do remember at one point being like, no one told me this part. Why did no one tell me? And then I was talking to a friend, um, Sarah, who has a, a kid a year older than our oldest. And I remember when we both had our first and they were relatively young, she had said something along the lines of like, no one tells you that it's this bad because by the time 
you're ready to hear it, it's too late. Like you're already pregnant. And so no one wants to tell you that it's going to be horrible right? because then what are you going to do? Like then you're dreading it, you know, like, so that's not fair either, but it is this weird thing. Like what's the balance between giving it, giving an accurate portrayal of how terrible those first few months might be versus like not wanting to turn anyone away because you do get through it and it gets a gazillion times better. Right. So what's the balance? Beats the hell out of me. I mean, <laughs> I remember something I remember um, when, when my, before my niece was born, my brother told me that a friend of his who had kids said to him, basically you don't sleep for five years and after that you're fine. And which, which is, you know, a really sort of condensed version of things. But, but I, I, I felt like, but what's funny well, is that that's not the first thing I would say. Well, but, but, but hang on, hang on. I actually came, I have come to appreciate that. Okay. As inaccurate as it is. Yeah. Because I think, I think what it lacks in accuracy, it makes up for, actually what it lacks in precision, it makes up for an accuracy. It's not precisely correct, but it's accurate in that what he's saying is it's rough for a while and then you're and fine. And then you're fine. Yeah. And, and which is, which is tr- the truth. You it know? is. I, and, I was and, thinking, and, and that that for a while is different for everybody. Yeah, yeah. You know, and based on the kid, it's different multiple times. Uh-huh. But that that's the best summation I can think of. Yeah. Is it's chaos it's, for a it's little bit. It's rough for a while, and then you're okay. Totally. Yeah. And, and the important part is the and then, and you're, then you're okay. okay. And that's I think what's missing from a lot of the the personal narratives that I hear from people about their babies. Right. Which is like, now that I have a second one and I'm an expert. no but now that i have a second one like it was so much better because i know it gets so much better yeah so even though we kept saying to each other the whole time like during the early days when luke was not sleeping at all and we were having a lot of trouble we kept looking at each other and saying this is the last time we do this right this is the last time we have and we know it ends and we know it ends yeah Yeah. it's all i kept yes i would literally hold him in the middle of the night as I was rocking him, trying to get him back to sleep, and I would my man, my mantra was, "This is all temporary. This yeah. is all temporary." Yeah, I mean, I would hold him. I would be downstairs watching TV, holding him, so that you could get some sleep. Mm-hmm. And I would think to myself, "In in you know seven more weeks, we can sleep train. Right? Yeah. You know? yeah. Like like I've done this before. In, in X number yeah. of days, we can sleep train. You know. Yeah. And and it was fine. But I still, it's funny because we still have. I mean, obviously, we're still in the thick of it, right? Sure. We've got a two and a He's half not year even old, six months old, and yeah. a six month old, right? Yeah. And there are days where it's just it feels so frantic. Oh, there. And I find myself just saying, like, "Remember, you're in the thick of it. Yeah. Remember, like, yeah. this is the apex, right? Yeah. Like, so it's okay. Like, you will get through this. It's okay, and it all gets. I mean, really nice. I I feel like you know there there are stretches of the day where it's just me and the two kids. Mm. And I always feel like, for some reason, in those stretches, they both need 100% of me. Ah, <laughs> oh, right, yeah. And I, obviously, yeah. anybody who knows anything about math knows <laughs> that's impossible. Yeah. But it is interesting because I think, you know, different people, you say, you know, why doesn't anybody say anything? And it, it's interesting because I think everybody takes away something different. Totally. Like, I think, like, your mom, for example. Yes. Who had four kids, including Three twins. Three under two. Twins, which, as we know... That is the devil's twosome. But, you know, she will say over and over again, there was never any problem. Nothing ever went wrong. Everything was perfect. And you say, that's impossible, Mom. It couldn't have been. You're forgetting. And it's true. She's forgetting. Yes. And now she acknowledges, like, I know, I'm just forgetting. She's forgetting. And it's funny because then I think of, like, my dad, 
who all he ever talks about is how hard it was. Is how hard it was. And and knowing my dad, I know that that's because that's interesting to talk about. Uh, it's not interesting to talk about everything that went right. Yeah. You know, that's boring. Yeah. You know, oh, then there was the day you slept. And yeah. what happened next, Dad? I don't know. You woke up. Right. Like, you know, that's, but it's interesting to say, and for three weeks you were up 24 hours right. and yeah. I had to stay awake and rocky. Yeah. Like, that's a story to tell, huh. you know? And, and so, so, you know, that's what people take, people take away different things yeah. for whatever reason. And I think that's why sometimes people don't say, here's the hard part. Here's what's going to be tough. Here's what you're going to have trouble with. Because, they just, it's not relevant to them yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in five years, if you have a friend who's pregnant. Of course. What are, no. What are you going to, I'm going to be like, yeah, I vaguely remember that. Like, It'll be yeah, tough it for a couple first, days. But it'll, it'll be all right. Yeah. It'll be fine. Uh-huh. Don't worry totally, about it. Totally, yeah. You know? No, I have a and friend. And then you'll be like, no, wait till they're five. That's right, really. yeah, yeah. I have a friend who um, has been considering whether or not she and her husband are, are going to have a family. And it was weird, though, because we were having a pretty frank conversation about it. And I was like, here's what you're giving up. But here's what you're gaining. Right. And as I was telling her what you gain. Poop. I realized you can't tell someone what, what they gain. Right. Because it sounds cheesy and yeah. there aren't words for it. Yeah. So you're so I'm like, you gain an amazing creature who you will love like nothing else, who will make you laugh, who will make you cry. Blah, blah. And then it I was sounds like, like chicken soup for the soul. Right. Yeah. And so she's like looking at me like, uh-huh, that that's, doesn't sound worth it right. ba- you know, versus what I'm giving up. And yeah. I'm like, but no. And it was just funny. And then I found myself like trying to convince her to have a baby. And then I was like, wait, that's not my job. Like, yeah. we don't need more babies. It's fine if she doesn't want to have a baby. But like, I felt like in a way I had to defend my own choices of like, well that, yeah. And that's, I think what a lot of this comes from too, is like, you should totally have a baby because if you have one that validates my choice. Right. Right. So I want to make sure that I'm never doing that. Of course. So anyway, um, I don't know. You don't know what you don't know until you know it. Yeah. And with kids, that's certainly true. And every day you You, learn what you didn't. uh Uh-huh. The day before. Yeah. All right. Can we do some recommended reading? Yeah, sure. It's been a while. It has been a while. You you recently read something great that you gave to me. I read a book called Everything Matters! Exclamation point (laughs) uh, by Ron Curry Jr. And I loved it. I really I really liked it a lot. Um, It is uh, the the premise is uh, this guy is born with the knowledge of when the world will end. Um, In the womb, he receives the knowledge that on this date at this time a massive asteroid will collide with the earth and kill every living thing on earth. And it's basically what would it be like if you were born knowing the world was going to die? And it is such a good book. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, I gave it to you and, and it will be interesting, you know, when you read it, we'll talk about it on the show. I I think it'll be interesting to see our different opinions. And we haven't done that yet where actually that's not true. We did, um, with, uh, the seduction of water that always makes me happy hearing that <laughs> so we've done this once before we're going to do it again with everything matters exclamation point and uh and and we'll see how that goes yeah so what about com- you that's coming up on that's my coming list. up yeah um i've read a lot recently i went on a couple of serious book buying binges over the past month yeah which i'm i love doing that because sometimes it's so un- unexpected but i will say i've been pretty disappointed by the, the three most recent ones that i've read which is a shame but Right before that, I did read um, a book that uh, I'd been hearing about for a while. So I, I kept hearing people talk about Tana French. Oh. And she has a, lo- a fairly extensive backlist, I believe. And 
there was like a, there was a new book out called The Trespasser, and that's of course why I had kept hearing about her. But uh, I ended up sending out a tweet and asking which book I should read because I didn't know anything about her and I hadn't read anything and yada yada. And so a couple of people recommended ones, and I did start with The Trespasser. I loved it. It's so I think it's not a book I would have picked up based on description alone yeah. because it's a bit of a thriller. And that's just not generally my, like, go-to. But I really loved it. It was incredibly atmospheric. It takes place in Ireland. I loved the characters. They were just beautifully drawn. Like, I felt like I was living with them in a way that I haven't felt in quite a while, I think, reading a book. Yeah. So, um, And then the fortuitous thing is that uh, the house across the street is um, being sold. And so they were having a garage sale and they had a big box of books, including two, two hardcover ton of punches for a dollar each. So I bought those as well. Actually, you got them for free because I negotiated them down. <laughs> you did, Seriously. Because right. <laughs> we bought a few things. We bought that's some DVDs right. too. Yeah, so I, yeah. I talked them down. So anyway, so I really, I really enjoyed the ton of French book and I have two more now on my bookshelf. To Very read, good. So that's great. Very good. All right. Well, this was an extended episode of Writing in Real Life, and we thank you for listening to it. <laughs> uh, you can find out more about us at writinginreallife.com, and there you'll also find the show notes. If you're on Twitter, give us a follow at WIRL Podcast. I promise to tweet out some more funny GIFs. Uh, and, of course, subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a rating while you're there. We hope you have a great couple of weeks, guys. See you soon. Bye.